Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Uh, Welcome to Q. So Terrace Martin tells you this story. Put yourself in his shoes. Terrace is at the White House. He's one of the folks behind uh, Kendrick Lamar's record, To Pimp a Butterfly. President Obama looks at him and says, you know, Terrace, that album is the one I use to explain the Black experience to my white colleagues. Terrace has had a remarkable life, growing up as a child prodigy in South Central L.A., to making it to the stage of the Grammys, So yeah, the artist you're about to hear from today, Terrace Martin, that might not be a name that you're super familiar with, but the music that this guy has made over the past decade, it gets called like important, and it is, but it's also excellent. One question. Where you and I was walking, now I run a game, got the whole world talking, King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off him, Kunta, black man taking no losses. Oh yeah. Where, where you and I was walking, now I run a game, got the whole world talking, King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off Unreal. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, King Kunta, off of To Pimp a Butterfly. To Pimp a Butterfly, if you don't know, is one of those albums that is in contention and gets like talked about when people talk about the greatest albums of all time. One of the reasons, and there's many reasons, but one of the reasons it got so much attention sonically is because of the way it blended like jazz and funk into the language of modern hip hop. Terrace was the guy to do that, and Terrace would be the guy to do that because he's from South Central LA in high school. There was a lot of jazz in his house, a lot of hip hop in his house, and he was considered this child prodigy, saxophone and keyboard savant. But he'll also tell you about growing up in South Central. He was this child prodigy for sure, but there was this tension between that and, you know, wanting to be part of gangs, between that and being surrounded by a lot of violence in his neighborhood. And Terrace has said he snapped out of it because of the music. So I got to talk to Terrace recently. I mean, what a great storyteller. He has great stories about A Tribe Called Quest and Snoop Dogg and Herbie Hancock and Thundercat. And he Later in our conversation, he talks a lot about his relationship with uh, Kendrick Lamar, who's sort of a mysterious figure. So it's nice to get a bit of demystifying happening there as well. But I started out by congratulating Terrace because he recently got a Grammy nomination for Best Progressive R&B Album for this record he made with uh, James Fauntleroy. Just take a listen. I don't want money. I just wanted everything that a money could buy. I can't get it for free. I already tried. Now what I how are you we are here we are alive we are fortunate we are blessed i'm here <laughs> i'm glad you're here man congratulations on the grammys oh thank you man thank you thank you how do you feel about all that you know what it feels great because me and James Fauntleroy are nominated on a record that we did just out the love of knowing each other for so many years. Um, the the other part is 
how much little food I could eat on this Grammy diet so I could look good on this red carpet is, is very torturing. <laughs> but otherwise, it's positive. <laughs> You're down to the four almonds a day. It's pretty good. Come on, four almonds is a treat. <laughs> the the uh, I want to listen to some music with you and, and some of the music that's been important to you over the years. I want to start with uh, this one. Take a listen to this. Back in the days on the boulevard I landed. We used to kick routines and the presence was fitting. It was I, the abstract. And me, the five-footer. I kicked the mad style, so step off the frankfurter. Yo, Fife, you remember that routine. Terrace, uh, what are we playing for you there? Come on, man. That's Tribe Called Quest. That's right there on that mic. That's the math teacher, Q-Tip. Shout out to Q-Tip. Just talked to him a few weeks ago, man. Shout out to Q-Tip. Um, man, that that group that group started the... So, Easy e started, I believe, in my... Easy e and Easy e on the song Boys in the Hood started my really fally, my fall deep. I fell deep in love with hip-hop through that record. Cruising down the street in my 6-4, jocking the freaks, clocking the dough, went to the park to get the scoop, knuckleheads out there, cold shooting some hoops. That's when I was like, this is what I want to do. Tribe Called Quest. When I first heard the record Check the Rhyme, it was the first day of seventh grade for me. And the DJ name was DJ Big Boy. Uh, he's a huge DJ in Los Angeles and just for the culture of hip hop, period. But uh, he was just a DJ, DJ in, high, DJ in junior high school then. And he had played that record. And I never will forget the impact. I was on the P field and I was standing next to, to I was standing next to my friend Damien, Lil D, uh, Damien Carter. And I remember, I didn't even know this kid, Damien Carter, at the time. I, I'm standing next to this stranger I don't know. Birthday of seventh grade on the P field. The DJ's playing records because it's everybody's birthday at school. He starts playing Check the Rhyme. He brings it back. He does this intro for like three minutes that by the time the, the bass line drops, the Q-tip voice. Back in the days on the boulevard, I The whole... School went oh, and in slow motion, I turned to Damien Carter, which is a, a famous photographer by the name of Flossie Annika in Los Angeles. He he he, he laughs when I tell the story. We turn to each other without knowing each other, and just say oh. And we can't explain the feeling. Okay. Every time I see old documentaries about the Beatles and people uh, fame and everybody showing up to the airport, that's what it was for Tribe Called Quest at this school. And when I heard that bass line and that music, I said, what is this? And then my boys, that, man, they mixed the jazz with hip hop. I said, they do what? My father listened to jazz. They mixed that old stuff with hip hop? What is that? And Tribe Called Quest is the reason why I can make a living today mm. for my children and who I am today. That record twisted my whole spirit upside down. I mean, because that record bought back it bought hip hop. What I felt, what Eric Easy E Wright made me fall in love with, and then it brought me closer to my father's connection with me through the jazz stuff. So now I'm like, oh, my father is cool. Oh wow! What a what a moment! 
because you're yeah you, you did because you, you're thinking to yourself you know I think any of us with our parents music is kind of like you know yeah whatever I was like man, my, my father used to rock, rock, roll up and play I used to be like dad can you please roll the windows up you're playing giant steps too loud can you please because my because my father was a little older and my friends parents were playing hip hop because they was younger so I was little I was I was embarrassed at an early age like. This jazz sounds crazy. It sounds old. I'm embarrassed. It's old people music. Is I don't understand it. Is this? I just I this is pre me loving music. Like so, I was very embarrassed of it. It was loud and it was noisy with the horns going crazy. I didn't I didn't I just couldn't receive it. And he played it every day, and I I hated it growing up as a little kid. But then you hear Tribe, and you're like, oh, I get it now. Because Easy E Easy E prepared my palate. The try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let, let me play another piece of music that I think was, was more meaningful to you. Take a listen to this. Oh, yeah. Do you recognize them? Come on, man. That's Jack and McLean. Pop, 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 Come on, man. Come on, man. Tell me tell me why we're playing that for you. Because Jackie is, I mean, that's I, for me, it's not even a, like Jackie, like, you know, Jackie is my saxophone father, one of one of the one of the human beings I've looked up to through hearing his trials and tribulations and blessings in, in his life. Uh, uh, and I was introduced by him to him when I was 15. By the master teacher, Mr. Billy Higgins, um, I was introduced to Jack McLean uh, personally before I even heard his music. Oh, so really? I, yeah. So I I got to know him for a few months personally, and his life was similar. Well, I felt. I mean, it was probably way more intense. I'm sure it was, but it was similar to mine, which I, you know, I struggled with certain troubles growing up because of my peers and because of the things I I felt was fun and cool to do, and and so did he. And he found a way out and threw that out. So I, I follow him as I follow him until the day he he was no longer on earth and I'm still following. If not a day go by, I don't I don't uh, thank the creator and listen to Jackie McLean at all. It's beautiful. Did, did he give you some like specific when you I, I find that interesting. You were like, listen, like this is a guy who had he's he found himself surrounded by sort of similar troubles that I found myself uh, in. You know, I know there was gangs around at the time and there was, you know, crime happening at the time. And does he give you like specific advice? Does he say stuff to you or is it more by example? You know, I remember Jackie, you know, like giving me game, like stay on that horn and stay studying that, that alto and, and, and the music, you know, like, like, like bury yourself in, into the studies and learn this music, you know? Uh, and I'm glad he told me that because when I, when I did, you know, and I, I I tell my children that just if you find something you love, really study and fall in love with it and learn what makes it work. And and as a father, what that does is for me when my children is it just whether or not they don't know what they want to do in life yet, it keeps them on the path of learning and figuring things out. Mm. You see, so through Jackie saying stay studying, now the only way to get even a tenth like bird is to study. Yeah. Miles study, yeah. Duke Ellington study. Wayne, Wayne study Shorter studied, study. man. Wayne Shorter studied a lot. Wayne, come on, Wayne Shorter study, man. And Wayne, and that was my guy. Like I, I got to know Wayne real good the past ten years. You know, so yeah, it was always studying, man. So that's 
one of the things that Jackie gave me that's to me bigger than music is to fall in love with wanting to know the unknown. Yeah, and then you get this 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 this, this encouragement to uh, to to play your horn, to play the alto, to get you and you become sort of a a teenage prodigy on on the saxophone. You end up playing jazz in a high school band with. I can't get over the high school band here. So it's Kamasi, Kamasi Washington. You know, incredible, groundbreaking yeah. saxophonist. Thundercat, who's been on the show a few times. One yeah. of the great musicians, like the modern day Frank Zappa, uh, yeah. other members wow. of the West Coast. Hey, that's, wow, I never realized that. That's what it is. That's that's it. I never real. Thank you for that, man. I never real. Thank you for that. Ah, wow. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. No, yeah, no. Shout out to Thundercat. The, the connective tissue. I can't get over this. The connective tissue is you're all in a high school band. And the music teacher who brought you all together, he, he's passed now, he died a few years ago, uh, Reggie Andrews. What kind yep. of dude was this to, to I mean, to, does he find you? Do you already have this talent and he brings it out in you? I've never heard of a teacher like this before. He finds you, man. It was the craziest thing. Me neither. I, we still have yet to see another one. Um, he found me because my, my first, uh, I went to a school... I went to a school called Santa Monica High School for uh, ninth grade in a, a few months and tenth, and I was I was I was I, I got into some trouble yeah. out that way, uh, some real real trouble, and um, you know I was I was about to be left hanging, but the security watch this, it was a security guard there named Mad Dog, Mad Dog was a drummer from South Central that just happened to know my father. They played together. They played around each other in the 70s and the 80s in L.A. He was a security guard at this school. I'm about to get deeper. This story is crazy. Mm -hmm. He was a security guard at this school. So one day he said, hey, man, you a nice alto player. What's your name? I said, my name is Terrace Martin. He said, your father Curly Martin? I said, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. I know your father. That's all he said. Boom. I didn't know he had been following me and reporting my whereabouts back to Reggie Andrews, his best friend, about I got this black kid in this school that don't understand him and he don't understand this school. And it looks like he's going to be getting into some trouble. So when I got into some trouble, Reggie Andrews, Mad Dog called Reggie Andrews and said, hey, man, Reggie found out what my mother was, told my mother I want him to come to Locke High School. If he comes to Locke, I guarantee he'll get a scholarship. I'll get him college ready, prep classes, everything. Let him come to lock. My mom said, let him go. He got kicked out of so many other schools. He can't go nowhere. He's carrying guns. He's going crazy. Let him go. Try lock high school. That's how I got with Reggie. Reggie then in 10th grade, in 10th grade, picks me up, takes me to rehearsal. No, no, takes me to the first day of the gig. He said, I'm going to see, can you sight read? I said, I can sight read. Puts me on the bandstand. On the first, my first day going to lock high school, on the bandstand, guess who's in the band? Who? Kamasi Washington, Ronald Bruner, Steven Bruner, which is Thundercat. And guess who the guest host musician is sitting in between me and Kamasi Washington, our first time meeting? Who? who? At 15, Wayne Shorter. No way. He was just there? He was there. He was the guest artist. And he was teaching us. And this was the first day me and Kamasi met asking Wayne Shorter questions at 15 years old. Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? 
So then, then that's how I got with Thundercat and them. Because, you know, me and his brother, Ronald Bruner, would practice in the room, drums and saxophone for nine hours every day. Only come out to eat, drink water, go back in. Nine hours, nine hours. Steven come in, we do six hours. Kamasi come in, nine hours, nine hours, nine hours. Weekends, Sundays, at the school, playing. That's it. With those guys. What are, you, are you running scales? Are you are you are you playing charts? What are you doing? At that, we we whatever Reggie said, we had to do to be great musicians. First, if, if he said, "Hey man, you guys should learn the Thelonious Monk book," we would learn songs like Skippy. Epistrophe. When Kamasi bought it, he loved Coltrane, you know, and Pharaoh Sanders. So he would bring in this. When I came in, I was I was I was the youngest one. I was already kind of just started doing records and sessions at 16 too. So I was I was on learning. We should learn songs off the radio and make straight ahead arrangements. Cause we don't want to be corny, smooth jazz guys. But I, I we gotta play these songs to get the girls. We can't play this old jazz stuff because they don't know all the things you are. So let's play some Usher, but let's write a bridge and modulate, or let's play it in nine. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that was my job, you know. And I love that song. You're right. It's hard to get a day playing "Goodbye Pork Pie" hat. Uh, let's uh, let me play. Man, come, and you know, I love that. That's soon, but. My daughter always says, "Daddy, I don't like that jazz. I just like your jazz." <laughs> <laughs> let me let me play one last influence before we start talking uh, just a little okay. bit more about your music. One more. Been in the curb, swerving, blowing on some hisser. The boss has returned. I'm still flying in the pisser. Riding and rolling with them Steelers like I'm Pittsburgh. Go against the gang, the main will have your whole click, sir. Nice from 2008, that's Snoop Dogg and Press Play uh, from an album um, that my guest, Terrace Martin, um, he arranged on it, produced on it, played on it. The record's called Ego Trippin'. Uh, you mentioned being 16 there. I know you've known Snoop Dogg since you were, you were 16. So talk to me a little bit about this. Like, um, for one, you're surrounded by all this music. When do you start to feel like you're finding your own voice in music? How does Snoop factor into this? How do you end up working with someone like that so young? Well, when well, when, when when Snoop got involved, everything completely changed. Everything. Um, I, you know, I'm very spiritual, man. I'm very spiritual. I, I actually prayed. Uh, uh, I prayed and meditated young at like 15 years old to work with Herbie Hancock, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Quincy Jones, and everybody I work with. I, I I knew I was going to work with them young. I believed it young. I didn't even know how to get to these people. I just knew they was going to, I knew, I knew I was built to work for them straight up. And it's for real. So uh, the creators always put me in the proper channels. Like think about like Reggie Andrews coming to get me like, Huh? How do you even know me, bro? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Reggie yeah. come to get me, and then through Reggie, me getting that community with Kamasi and them. And then after, when Kamasi and them, through them, I started doing sessions. My brother, Marlon Williams, was playing guitar for Snoop. Marlon Williams is a, a L.A. session guitarist. He's actually the the original guitarist, In the original guitarist Fishbone, Fishbone. Right? Yeah, Fishbone, yep. right, yeah. Yeah, so Marlon was already tied in with Snoop since 96. And I also told Marlon, if Snoop ever need a horn player, let me know. I was trying to corner Snoop for four years. I was, I'm going to get to him somehow. 
So Marlon called me one time. I was on the road with God's property. He said, hey, man, Snoop need a horn section. So Snoop, you know, I showed up, did the gig, everything, and just started bonding a relationship. And I get a call from a guy named Goldie Loke, which had, was, it was in a group with Snoop called the East Siders. Goldie Loke said, hey, I did some of your records, and Snoop likes one. I want to take you to Snoop's house. I said, oh, my God. And we went up there, man. I never I never forget. I saw Snoop walk through the door, and I heard his voice on my first the beat. I heard his voice on the beat. And he looked at me. He said, hey, man, you the horn player? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a horn player. He's like, and you do beats? You did these beats? I said, yeah. And I got 18 more in my pocket because you can only put 18 beats on a CD back then. And I pulled out a back pocket of beats, and he said, I can have these beats for me? I said, these for you, dog. These for you. He rapped to all those beats. All those beats came out on records. And Snoop, literally, in that night, Goldie Lope, Snoop, all them, that energy literally put me in position to put my whole crew on a... That's when me and Kamasi and Thundercat, that's when we start seeing the world from a different angle. Because Snoop was the first one that believed in my crew and said, get get your whole crew. I want Thundercat. He started he start wearing Thundercat rings. I want Kamasi. Snoop is Snoop is our Duke Ellington, our Count Basie. Snoop is the one that really believed in our sound individually and as a whole first. So he, he turned us out to like, wait a minute, it's bigger stages than nightclubs? Wait a minute. You can make millions of dollars? Wait a minute. Wait. Wait, hold on. You don't have to struggle and do art? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happened? Snoop put all of us on that high-level path, bro. All of us, bro. Yeah. Yeah. What up? Corrupt young guy. Tom Power, you're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation and hearing some great stories from Terrace Martin. And up until now, you've been hearing us talk about how, you know, this kid growing up in the 80s and 90s in South Central LA, he's into Herbie Hancock and John Coltrane and jazz and none of his friends are. And he's also like surrounded by hip hop and incredible rappers. And this all culminates in one of the greatest records of all time. Off of Kendrick Lamar's album To Pimp a Butterfly, um, that's a song called These Walls. And To Pimp a Butterfly, um, one of the producers on it and one of the major like driving artistic forces on it is and was Terrace Martin, who's on the show today. I mean, Terrace played on it, he produced tracks on it, he was a close collaborator of Kendrick, he understood what Kendrick wanted to do to combine uh, jazz and funk and, and hip-hop. And you're going to hear Terrace talk a little bit about that, including, I mean, talk about validation, what then-U.S. President Barack Obama said to him about that record. But I was curious, Kendrick Lamar, a very mysterious dude, um, I was wondering how Terrace and Kendrick met for the first time. So I asked, and again, what a story. So here, here's the game. Here's the game. Now, as you see in my story, for some reason, for some reason, man, I didn't ask for this stuff 
I'm learning how to talk clean. I didn't ask for this stuff, but <laughs> Thank for you. some Thank reason, you. <laughs> I'm always walking in the spirit of discovery. So at this time, I'm I'm involved with street activities. I'm I'm battling with a few criminal activities. I'm fighting a gun case, fraud case. I'm I'm battling with street stuff because I'm just trying to survive as a musician, and I don't want to get a day job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. I'm battling with things. I'm in trouble a lot. And when you in when you in that street stuff, you mean other like-minded people from a different world and different things like that. So I was just hanging with different crews, and I had heard rumors about a brother on the east side that had a record label named TDE. The east side is Watts and Comp and all that down there. So I'm over there. The first day I walk in, I see Top Dog. I see Punch, and I see J-Rock and Kendrick, mm. and they got a keyboard. Now, my, I tell you, I'm used to going to different neighborhoods not saying nothing. If everybody gang-banging with guns, I'm gang-banging with my hands in this music. So if you got a keyboard, I'm just as aggressive as a gang-banger, but on the music at the time. So I look at them, I'm like, hey, that's a keyboard, I hey, cut it on. And we cut it on, and I did a beat for them right there and through my music. They was like, man, you hard. I was like, man, I like y'all. And we bond we bond a brotherhood. Like, that was that. And then we was always hanging on the off hours. And when you hang with artists on the off hours, you find out what they want to be around and what they want and what they need to feel good on the own hours. What that means is I've had a chance to eat, live, talk, this, uh, experience ups and downs, real shit, fun stuff with Kendrick and everything. And, and it's, it's just like, it's like by the time we did to Pimp a Butterfly, those were all of my relationships, yeah. all of my street teaching, all of my jazz teaching. Me and Thundercat said, literally, that record drenched us to where we had to do and hear music completely different after that. It was no more in us. Uh, me and Thundercat, talk, we always talk about, man, we we really loved Kendrick and we wanted to, because Reggie Andrews taught us one way, to give a hundred and and to never expect back nothing just give the art everything you can and we just wanted to surround Kendrick and uplift him with all of our teachings to make him a, a, a super thing he was already going to be that and then what he did was he shined the light on us and the light he shined from pop culture was so bright it made us everlasting be able to feed our children so it was a good fair exchange man oh man what a story but, it, but here's my question about that so what does it do does he look at you one day does Kendrick look at you one day and saying like hey I want to bring like jazz and abstract jazz in into this music like how does that how does the jazz part of To Pimp a Butterfly come in well one thing about Ken he, he's always been the John Coltrane on that microphone. Yeah. I've always said, man, that dude is John Coltrane, Freddie Hubbard, and Sonny Stitt. And they said, who is that? And I say, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so how that happens, man, really, and then and then at that time, you know, it was a lot going on with, you know, it was a lot, it's always a lot going on, but just with Blacks and the police and the Mike Brown and yeah. all these things. And so it was that, and you know, that jazz, that jazz outline, that mattress that all the cats paid the way for, like Miles and everybody to that that African American classical music. Yeah. And that and the blues is some of the only 
and gospel. Because, you know, the gospel babies had the blues babies. Blue yeah. babies had the jazz. But those three, gospel, blues, and jazz, those three right there will never go out of style as far as getting the truth through your music. Right. Those three, for some reason, the creator and the art world protects those three when you do them right. You could get it off a lot that you couldn't get off the same message, and especially nowadays in 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 in, in the hip hop song, our regular pop culture. For some reason, those frequencies uh, uh, soothe the ear for the harshness of the words. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think at that point he had we had been watching the news every day, and we all affected. I think the energy in that studio was like if we have this light. In this opportunity, let's not use this opportunity to do another, hey, shake it, shake it. Yeah, baby, yeah, look at me. Oh, look at all the money. Yeah, oh, the cards. Yeah, with me and my, oh, millions of dollars. Yeah, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. You know, we didn't want to be a part of the problem like our peers were or are a lot of times. We want to be part of the solution like Marvin Gaye and Coltrane was. We gon' be all right. We gon' be all right. We gon' be all right. And I, I love what you said there, that like the best way to get that truth out is through jazz, is through, is through jazz, is through this music. Like that, it'll Got never let you blues, down. Jazz, yeah. It'll never you let know, you, you down can. to get the truth out. They got blues songs with people talking about murdering their families, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't write them, but they're, they're like, I mean, since the fifties. Yeah. Or forties, thirties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the Earth, Wind and Fire song, Reasons, is about a one night stand and people get married to it. <laughs> so i mean you know frequencies you know music is deep come on man you know you're you, you you're a musician so you those frequencies is it, uh, you know those sounds the chords the instrumentation yeah. you know like yeah it's you know it's funny when people when people you know when we first did the album people that didn't know me kamasi or anybody you know you know you you would hear wow man you know those guys are different kind of jazz musicians wow and it's so deep because when you study it in the culture like <laughs> Like we, we are, we are what our environment was, and we grew up. We're all third generation jazz musicians, for real, for real. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a, we didn't, we didn't ask for this. We didn't. I, I did act. Let me because I'm from LA. My mother, my mother's different than my father. My father's all art. God rest his soul. He was all art. Love Coltrane. Yeah. My mom, if I practice saxophone too long in the room, she would knock on the door and say, you better practice keyboard. You're not going to work just playing the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that's why I play keyboard, because I had to play the keyboard. So, so like, let, 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 me just, let me just close off this way, because I, I'm, I'm stuck by going back to what you're saying. So you're 15. You're praying, like, I want to work with Quincy Jones. I want to I work with Snoop Dogg. I want to work with Hank, Herbie Hancock. But this is the story. I was hoping i get the story from you before we go. So, like, when... To Wait, Butterfly- no, I got to tell you this. Hey, we got to... Hey, we're we going to go over. I got to tell you this. Go, 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 go. Yes, go tell. I got with Quincy. Go. How? I was 24. Snoop said it was my birthday. He said, what you want for your birthday? I said, I want to meet Quincy Jones and work with him. He said, hold on. Called him, and we went over there that night. No way. No way. And... And and, and 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 guess what I said? Quincy said, "Man, it's your birthday, man. What can I do for you?" I said, "I want to meet Clark Terry." He said, "Hold on," and that's how I got with Clark Terry. <laughs> I know, man. I know. But look, you gotta take my number. Just call me on your off time. <laughs> Hold on, let me ask this. I want to get this story from you before you go. Hey, I'll call you whenever you want. I, this is I, I can do this all day. 
your Tamimba Butterfly comes out. It's 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 a groundbreaking album to say the very least. People who are born of hip hop, people who have no interest in hip hop, it is a album that takes over the world. Obama Obama personally told me in front of Michelle personally at a dinner with me, Sting, Robert Glasper, and Obama and Michelle. He how much a dollar costs into Pimp a Butterfly. He's turned on his white counterpart to the black experience through that album. Wow. Straight up. Wow. He said that to you? Rob, Robert was there. I got with, I, I wouldn't quote no Obama stuff about that. You know what I'm saying? Wow. What did that mean to you? I was just tripping like, man, did Obama know my name? That's all I, I wasn't even <laughs> thinking no further than that, bro. It ain't that deep. <laughs> so so then so then you're on stage at um at the Grammys. I'm the biggest hypocrite of 2015. It's it's 2016. The other p- missing piece of the puzzle here is, is Herbie Hancock. And you're on stage performing with Kendrick and you look out into the crowd, right? And and Herbie yeah. Hancock is there. He's in the front row. Yeah, so 2016, we're, we're, we're doing the grand performance. And uh, we look into the crowd. We see, I, yeah, that crowd, that was uh, Jay-Z. Jay-Z was like, uh... Herbie was like, uh, everybody was like, because see that rehearsal, we didn't really show the Grammys what we was gonna do because we didn't want we didn't want them to trip on when they see brothers come out with uh handcuffs and you know, we were trying to keep certain things on the rap because the Grammy's so sensitive because of the the networking and everything. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we kinda was like, Man, we we don't even they might not invite us back, so we just gonna do something crazy. So we just then we put that together, man. And I never forget I was listening to uh Miles Davis, Rebirth of the Cool. Mm-hmm. Rebirth of the Cool. My uh that album, because I we I had to arrange that and I was I wanted to take elements from Rebirth of the Cool and twist them, and that's what we did with that. I'm the biggest hypocrite of 2015. Once I finish this, if you listen, then sure you will agree. Been feeling this way since I was 16. Come to my senses. You never liked this anyway. Pump your friendship. I meant it. I'm African American. I'm African. I'm black as the moon. Heritage of a small village. Part of my residence. Came from the bottom of mankind. My hair is nappy. You know that it's big. My nose is rounded wide. You hate me, don't you? You hate my people. You play. What a, like a, what a full circle moment that is for you. Where it's like all of all of the influences that you've had. All of the sort of um, people who meant a lot to you, the music that's meant a lot to you, the the, the 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 people beyond the music who have like lived lives that have meant a lot to you, it all kind of culminates there. It's a it, man, it's a powerful moment. Not everyone gets one of those. Oh man, it's it's an, it's, a, it's an interesting ride. And every day I wake up, I'm like, man, what's gonna be next? It's um it's well deserved. I I love getting a chance to talk to you, man. Thanks so much for making the time. It's all good. Thank you, man. Anytime. Kendrick Lamar performing a medley of The Black or the Berry and All Right. 
from his record uh, To Pimp a Butterfly at the 2016 Grammys, a moment we were talking about with our, our guest on the show today, Terrace Martin, the award-winning uh, producer and, and musician. He was performing with Kendrick at the Grammys, produced and played on To Pimp a Butterfly. Terrace, by the way, back at the Grammys this year, his album Nova with James Fauntleroy is up for Best Progressive R&B Album at this weekend ceremony. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Coming up, my conversation with musician and streamer Blood Nymph. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Check this out. It's hard not to love a story like this. And as the years go by here on Q, I realize this is sort of becoming the story of uh, of Q these days, which are artists who, if you only pay attention to like newspapers and magazines and radio, you might not know anything about. But they're Canadian artists who are blowing up in certain corners of the Internet. Blood Nymph is from Kelowna, B.C. One of her songs has 17 million streams on Spotify. Uh, we got her on the line to talk a little bit about her new song called The Things I Do for Love, which is this sort of great unhinged pop song. But really, I think what you hear here is just the sound and the attitude of modern pop music. Came up on Twitch, came up on streaming, has a completely different attitude towards the music industry, and it's really paying off for her. But I started out by asking her about her early days growing up in BC. Here's Blood Nymph. I'm from Kelowna, BC. So like a lot of people not from Canada don't even know what that is. Yeah. I always just say close to Vancouver, not close to Vancouver. <laughs> but yeah. That'll do it. I, I tend to say close to Halifax and I'm from like an hour yeah. and a half flight from Halifax. So I get it. Yeah. You know, I get it. It's easier. What was life like growing up in Kelowna? How was, how was growing up in Kelowna? Uh, it was great. I was always super creative and my parents were like great at like supporting me in that. I dressed crazy. I liked to do all forms of art. I was always like really into music. I didn't sing a lot though, because I was scared of singing in front of people, but um, it was really nice. I was from like a little small city, I guess, town outside of Kelowna. So actually Lake Country is where I grew up. Um, But yeah, it was nice. I had a few friends, played a lot, did a lot of magic spells in my free time. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like we all do. Like we all do. And, 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 uh, when does the now I'm looking at you and I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this on the on the radio and on the podcast here. <laughs> OK, you develop a, a sort of persona and I can kind of see it on, on you now, if you don't mind. Uh, yes. Can you describe it and, and tell me where it, when this started coming in? Um, I feel like who I am and who I've always been is very fantasy. I'm really into like magic, as I said, you know, the magic spells. Um, I like to wear my elf ears. They're fun. I like to wear a lot of different wigs, a lot of different clothes. I'm pretty like girly usually, but I like to switch it up. But mm. 
definitely magic. I just want to look like a magical creature roaming the earth. Yeah, blood, a nymph, a blood nymph, you know. Yeah, like a, blood yeah, nymph. Yeah, exactly. I'm right. like a little vampire elf fairy goddess creature all in one. When when does that start? When when does that persona start to emerge? Honestly, it's kind of been something that's always been in me. Growing up, Halloween was super important to my family. Like that was our huge thing we did together. It's like my most precious memories from being a child, dressing up and like decorating the house and doing all of that. So I've always just liked doing that. I've always dressed up in costume. I've worn wigs since I was like a child, <laughs> like to school and stuff. I don't know. I just really like doing that. I think it's always been a part of me. And I'm really grateful that I have a job now where I get to really embrace that. Easy in the e- easy in the town? Are people cool about it? I think I just didn't care. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I think I was just going to do it anyways. Yeah. And since I had always been doing it, people were used to it. They yeah. weren't really, like, surprised if I showed up wearing something a little bit insane. I like to sew a lot, too, so I'd make a lot of my own clothes and just always yeah. been like that, so no one was surprised. <laughs> and and then um, is the persona, or is the is the? I mean, it's not even really a persona because it's just kind of you too, right? <laughs> it's kind of me. Um, it's definitely me, but like enhanced, like very theatrical. And is that connected to the music that you make? Do you know what I mean? Yes, I think all of it's connected. I think I, I just am so me, and I can't be anyone else. And in everything I do, I. I really infuse that into all of my art. So you, you told me you're, you were afraid to sing in front of people growing up, and now you, yes. ha- you have all these streams and all this attention on you. <laughs> but the, then now the attention is really ramped up, right? And this is what I find. Oh yeah. This is what I find interesting about about someone like you, and what what I mean by that is when you get a lot of success in digital spaces. Because mm-hmm. the old here's here's how it used to be, right? The old yeah. The tell old, me all about it. The old trajectory <laughs> of a musician used to be you play a lot live. Mm-hmm. And then you put out music and people buy the music and you continue to play live. What yeah. I find interesting about musicians like you is that you start out in the virtual world, c- connecting yeah. with an audience, singing to an audience online. How has the transition been to doing this live? Doing it live? Okay, well, also a little terrifying, but super exciting. I always say that like stress and anxiety and like excitement is the same feeling. It's just the mindset about it. So I obviously do get, I don't know, I'm kind of scared of everything, but I think that that's an important part of me because it makes me feel more brave because I do it anyways. I feel like if I'm scared of it, that makes me want to do it even more just to prove that I can. So It has been like a bit of a transition, but I grew up doing dance and acting. So I was already used to being on stage. It's just different now because I'm singing my own music and it's, I am the focus, which is a little crazy, a little wild, but it's really fun. What was the first time like when you, when you went out as as Blood Nymph on stage and to perform? Oh, I just danced really aggressively. I was definitely running out of breath um, because I was dancing too hard. I like to make a lot of jokes. So I think it's like half a comedy show because I kind of like mess up and then I just laugh about it. But I think I play it off pretty well. And it honestly made me feel like super proud of myself after. And so many people like came up to me and had never heard of me before and said they were going to go stream my music. And they already told their friends about me. And I don't know. It was just like really exciting being able to see the people in front of me listening instead of just like a screen and comments. 
Just in the, in the last minute here, we're going to hear your newest single, The Things I Do for Love, yeah. um, which is, um, I, I've listened to it, it's, 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 a, it's some song. <laughs> and it's, sure is. And it's sort of about the, uh, well, you tell me, it's sort of about indulging in sort of like the darkest yes, thoughts definitely. that you can have, especially when it comes to relationship. Uh, where did this song come from? Tell me a little bit about it. I think that everyone can kind of, well, obviously everyone can feel those negative feelings that are kind of possessive and jealous. I don't like acting out on that in real life. I don't like being violent, but I like channeling that energy somewhere because it's got to go somewhere. So I think I like to do that through my art and I hope that other people can listen to it and just kind of let themselves be a little bit toxic for the moment and then not be that, you know, somewhere to just let it out and yell it and then free it from your system. Right. I was going to ask how it feels when you do it, but like it's, it's letting the steam out a little bit. Exactly. It's just like, you're going to feel it anyways. So like just free it for a second and let it be and let yourself feel that. And then after you can be fine and normal, but it's kind of fun being crazy sometimes. Can you tell me about it? Can you, uh, <laughs> can you do me a favor? Can you tell me who you are and, and, and introduce the song for us? Yes. Hi, I'm Blood Nymph, and this is my song, The Things I Do for Love. That is The Things I Do for Love by Blood Nymph out of Kelowna, British Columbia. She joined me from Los Angeles, California. You can find that song out now wherever you stream your music. That is it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, the show Top Boy has had an interesting life. It's a gritty British drama about drug dealers on a low-income housing estate. It was canceled, but then Drake, a fan of the show, came along to save it. You're going to hear from the Top Boy creator and showrunner Ronan Bennett to talk about the history of the show and now why he wanted to write a book based on it. That's tomorrow on the show. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.